You just need to let God's Word speak to you. And you need to give. Because that's what we do. That's just what we do as Christians. I'm Kyle Grants, and I'm the lead pastor at Grace Bible Church. You know, biblical preaching is one of the highest priorities of our ministry. And I'm so thankful that you've chosen to listen. If you have any questions about our ministry or would like to know more about Christ, feel free to connect with us at www.gracebibleelkhart.com. Thank you again for spending these moments with us, and I pray that God transforms you by His grace through the Bible. So let's start by turning to Luke 12, please. Luke 12. And I want to read from verse 13 to the end of the chapter, because this chapter deals with riches, how to have them, and how to keep them. And these are, of course, riches in heaven. That's what we're going to talk about today. So follow along, please, as I read, beginning at verse 13. We'll read to the end of the chapter. One of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. So right in the middle of what the Lord's doing, what he's saying, somebody calls out from the crowd. Uh, He had just paused for just a little bit, and somebody's asking him to solve this quarrel, argument, disagreement, dispute between two brothers. And here's the Lord's response, verse 14. He said, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, and I don't know for sure who the them is. I don't know if it's the two men, the one who is wanting to, him to say something to his brother. It could be those two men. It could be his disciples. He could have said this to the disciples. He could have said this to the crowd. But it it almost seems like he said this first statement to the two of them, the, the man and his brother. Verse 15, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesses. How many of you have seen the the bumper sticker? He who dies with the most toys wins. You seen that bumper sticker? I have. I, I thought that is wretched the first time I saw that. I thought, what a terrible philosophy of life. But I've seen it on more than one vehicle. A man's life consisted not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and all my goods. I had a lot. Um, When I got married, got married over in Osceola, and my wife and I, I I was still a student at Bob Jones University, so I had my senior year to finish, then I was going to go to grad school, and my wife and I moved from up here 
to down there in a Chevy Impala with a car top carrier. Remember, dear? So we had a car top carrier that my grandpa had built. And we strapped that thing to the top of the car. It was barely held in one piece. And I was under instructions to just get rid of it when I was done. But we filled that full of stuff and, and a Chevy Impala. It was a blue Chevy Impala. I can't remember which year. We moved to Greenville, South Carolina with a Chevy Impala and a car top carrier. When it came time to leave school after two graduations and come up to the first place that I was going to serve the Lord in Madison, Indiana, I had a Plymouth Volari and I was pulling a 12-foot Jartran trailer. Does anybody remember Jartran? It was kind of a competitor to U-Haul, you know. And I had to pull that thing through the mountains of North Carolina, and the little brake thing that's in the tongue of the trailer kept locking up the brakes on the trailer. I had smoke going everywhere, you know. But the, the, the thing is, we'd only been married three years at the time, and what started out as a Chevy Impala and a car top carrier was now a Plymouth Volari with a 12-foot trailer on the back moving to Madison, Indiana. And the thing would barely go, and oh, I had so many troubles with that. And finally, I wrote to the company and told them all the troubles. I was supposed to get a refund. Then they went bankrupt. <laughs> so I got nothing. I guess all their trailers were locking up. And I remember in Hendersonville, North Carolina, I didn't know, I didn't know beans about trailers. And I got in there and figured out there was a brake line back to those wheels on the trailer. And it was controlled up there where the the trailer tongue went hit on the hitch ball. So I got a crescent wrench and I loosened that dude and I was gonna let some of that brake fluid out because the brakes were locking up. Well, at that point, that brake fluid squirted out of there, ran all down my arm and burnt me real bad because it was so hot from uh, that trailer. Oh, life was not good. And, and we made it up there way late and there had been a bunch of people waiting on us to get there like, like we were a benefit to them or something. And so when we got there, you know, I had my injuries. I had the trailer. And then when we moved from Madison, Indiana to Coatesville, Indiana, I had to rent a big truck to move. And we drove all our possessions from Madison up to Coatesville, and I had took the whole church to unload them all into this little two-car garage that we were going to live in for a while. And then we were there for 20-some years, and, and I had to get a really big truck when I moved back up here. And the, the point of this is more possessions and more possessions and more possessions and more possessions. My wife was not happy. She wanted me to throw it away. That's kind of, you know, she'd just get rid of it. You know, I loaded it all up. We hauled it all up here. And now, soon, we're going to move again somewhere else here. I don't know where yet. If you know, please let me know. <laughs> um, but we're going to move again up here. And it's going to take a buku of trips. So what I'm hoping to do is find out where I'm going to move long before I sell the house so that I can make a whole bunch of trips, you know? And the possessions just keep growing. And this guy had this problem, only he was rich, so he had even more possessions. 
And he said in verse 18, I'm going to pull down my barns and build bigger. Verse 19, I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine easy, drink and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he, like this rich man, is the person who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, I'm not going to read the whole rest of this. You can read it on your own. But look at the end of the chapter. I mean, I'm sorry, not at the end of the chapter. Down at verse 33. Christ continues this teaching. He says, sell that ye have and give alms. Or, you know, give offerings. Be charitable. Be generous. Provide yourself bags which wax not old. A treasure in the heavens that faileth not. Where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So, as a way of introduction to the message, I want you to see in verse 21 that it is possible to be rich toward God, which seems to be the opposite of laying up treasure for yourself, accumulating. I am told, and I know for a fact, that before we ever move again, a whole bunch of stuff has got to go. It's just got to go. Time to pare everything down, you know, uh, and I have to sell all that stuff. But that's what it says at the end of this chapter, verse 33 and 34 as well. And what we need to have as our goal is to be rich toward God. I want you to see this same phrase a couple of other times. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Either turn pages or push buttons. Look at verse 17 of 1 Timothy 6. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. That's the riches of this world, the things we have. And by the way, if any of you have an IRA, some kind of retirement account, some kind of mutual fund where you're invested in the stock market, I can tell you one thing is sure right now. You don't have what you had a month ago. You've lost a bunch of money. Because the stock market has gone just like that. And I expect it's going to continue to do that for a while. I don't know. I hope I'm wrong. I really do. Riches are uncertain, aren't they? They are uncertain. Um, my daughter was in Thailand because when she was a teacher in China, um, she was there for 10 years or so. Um, when she was a teacher in China, Travel within the area of Asia was cheap. Chinese airplane tickets were cheap. Of course, so were the airplanes. Uh, but, you know, she survived all those. Um, 
And so she traveled in the airplane to Thailand, and they were there in one of those food courts. My daughter was always a big fan of street food in all these different Asian locations. And we traveled to China. We surprised her in China. We were there for a while. And I ate plenty of street food, and I'm a big fan. Um, never got sick. Enjoyed it a bunch. But she and a friend were there in Bangkok at night eating street food, standing there at the road. And she was facing her friend, and she hears a scooter really close to her, and all of a sudden she's jerked sideways, and just instinct, she clamps down with her elbow because her purse was flying off of her. And she caught the edge of that purse on there, and she and it tipped over, and the purse's contents were spilled all over her ground, but the two guys on the scooter didn't get it. And she found out then that there in Bangkok, it was a very common thing for two young men to ride scooters. And one would take a knife, and he'd come up, and he'd stick that knife in between the strap of the purse and the person who had it on, slit the strap with the knife, and the guy behind would grab the purse and pull it off of him. And they made their living doing that. Of course, if they weren't real good with the knife, they left you injured and bloody. Uh, this case, she was not bleeding. And because, by instinct, she grabbed the purse and it dumped on the ground, she was able to save the contents of her purse. And they didn't get anything, though they ruined She looked at the strap. And, now, she doesn't, because she was facing away, she didn't see the knife. She had this explained to her later, but the strap was cut. So probably that's what they did, rather than just break it. And... She realized you can, I mean, she's on vacation. There's money in that purse, you know. Uh, there's the stuff to provide. All that could be gone in just one second. Uh, the clear blue sky. And we're not supposed to trust in uncertain riches, are we? But in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Here's what we're supposed to tell rich people if we're a preacher. That they do good. That they be rich in good works. That's the way to be rich. Rich toward God. Rich in good works. And then the last two phrases of verse 18. Ready to distribute. The hand is ready and the heart is ready. Willing to communicate or to fellowship or to take someone else's life into your own and provide for that other person. If you're going to be rich, it's a good idea to be rich toward God. It's a good idea to be rich in good works. Once you see another verse, James chapter 2. James chapter 2. If it were for that big clock back there on the wall, I had already done this. That's what I always did in Coatesville. You know what it means when a preacher does that? Nothing. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Uh, I would have already done that, but I can watch that clock in the back. James chapter 2, where James is talking about the rich man and the poor man that come into the church. 
And I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but I just want you to see the phrase in verse 5. Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith. And there we see the rich again. And I could have picked a whole bunch of verses. I picked these three. Rich toward God. Rich in good works. Rich in faith. And folks, I, I know that we spend our lives accumulating things. As you can tell from the size of the truck that I've had to use every time I've moved again. We spend our lives accumulating things, but these are the only riches that matter. Right here. And, oh, notice something else in this verse. Look at verse 5 of this again. It says, the poor of this world are often found to be rich in faith. You know why the prosperity gospel is an absolute lie? Because even this early, James says, we have a bunch of people that are saved that are poor. Here are the poor who are rich in faith. God never intended for you to believe a gospel that would instantly make you rich in this world's goods. But he has given you a gospel to make you rich toward God. Rich in good works and rich in faith. Now, Assuming that I'm talking to people who believe that this morning, and I am quite confident you do, that the real riches are the ones we lay up in heaven. Moth can't get to them, chew them up. Rust can't destroy them. Age can't ruin them. Moth and rust, I, I tried to go turkey hunting this season, didn't get one. But when I got my shotgun out to get ready for turkey season, I looked through that barrel, I thought, what an evil person you are. My gun was trying to turn red. You should never let your guns turn red. And I pushed the oil through there, I cleaned that up, I got it all. You know that rust can destroy? Everything about this world wants to destroy the things that we have. Everything about it. But we can have riches toward God and riches in our good works, and riches in faith that no one can touch, that the stock market vicissitudes cannot change, that can never be lost. Isn't that something? They can't be lost. You know the old saying, you, you can't take it with you. Well, the add-on to that, the Christian add-on is, but you can send it on ahead. And we can laying up treasure toward God. This is not the only thing I want to talk about, though, this morning. I want to talk about what we have in physical possessions now. And I want to preach about giving. And though you think I ought to be afraid to preach on it, I'm not. And you know why? Because if you're sitting there and your heart's right with God, you say, man, that's what I was wanting to hear. I was wanting to hear the preacher preach on giving this morning. I want to feel convicted about it. I want to give more. I am ready and willing to give. In fact, I hope we have two offerings today. You know, I mean, I got an amen out of that. Where did that come from? Back there somewhere. Okay, there's somebody just as crazy as I am. 
So, if you're a Christian, do you know what you love to do? I know this to be true because of the verse we're going to look at last this morning. You love to give. You love to. It's in your heart. You want to do it. So it's, it's not bad to preach on giving. But I want to show you a couple of verses this morning that, and just kind of reinforce things that you know to be true about Christian giving. Our focus should be on our treasures in heaven. But what do we do with the things God gives us on this earth? Well, let's look at some verses this morning that help us keep that straight in our minds. Ephesians chapter 4. Or in 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. I had a person in my church when I was in Coatesville that never could get the book straight. And this lady always says, it's, there, it's in there somewhere. She would always tell me. She'd quote a Bible verse, say, it's in there somewhere. It's in Philusians. I'd say, okay. So you can turn to Philusians chapter 4. And look at verse 28 this morning. Let him that stole steal no more. Now, these are instructions Paul is giving here to the Ephesians, applying what he's taught them about the church. And I'm sure, in not too long from now, Pastor Kyle's going to get to this point because we're going to go through Ephesians, right? So, we'll look at verse 28 this morning, try to get a jump on him. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good. And what Paul's saying there, these hands used to steal. Now take the same hands and go to work with those hands. Work what is good. And why? Why are we supposed to go to work? Why do we have a job? Why do we try hard in life? Why, because we got saved, do we change from dishonesty to good, honest work? And by the way, the word for labor is the word for labor to the point of exhaustion. Why do you have that job? Well, it says right there at the end of the verse. That, or in order that, he may have to give to him that needeth. You know why you have a job? You know why you go to work every day? Say, I wish you'd tell me because I don't like it much. Well, there are days I don't like it either. But granted, we have to supply our needs. We have to provide the money to pay the bills. But that's not the emphasis in this verse. Paul tells the person who used to be a thief and is now saved and his whole life has changed and he's now doing honest work, the reason you're doing the work is so you can give, not keep. Labor. Work to the point of exhaustion because you'll have the opportunity to take that money that you've worked so hard at and give it away. That's not how the world thinks, is it? But that's how Paul thinks. 
under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, doesn't that give kind of a kind of an extra cup of coffee to you in the morning? When you're, oh, yeah, I get up at 4.16 a.m. All right, so 4.16. Why I chose that over 4.17 or 4.15, I have no idea. 4.16, that's it for me. The alarm goes off. Bum, bum, ba-da-dum, bum, bum, you know, my stupid phone. And I, I want, I wish I had the alarm clock, I could hit it like that, you know, right on the top. But instead, I have to, in the dead of sleep, find the white button and slide it up on the phone. You know, why do I do that? Why do I get up at 4.16 in the morning? Well, this changes your attitude toward going to work. I get to work so that I can give this money away. And not just to the gas pump. To give to the person who needs that's a better motivation, isn't it? But that's what Paul says. That's why we work, so that we can give it away. Look at a couple other verses. Um, we'll look at one we looked at last week. Go to Acts 20. Pastor Kyle preached on this passage last week. To Paul's comments to the Ephesian elders. I was afraid he was going to preach on this verse, but he kind of left it for me, so I was thankful. Acts 20, look at verse 35. He read it to us. Paul's telling them, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring, just like I've done. If you don't know what Paul had done, you can go back and read it, just a few verses before. How that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said... It is more blessed to give than to receive. Just the verse before, he said, these hands have ministered to my own necessities. When he says it, he's holding them up. And you can see on Paul's hand all the calluses from his work. You know, people, they ever look at my hands, and I don't have much in the way of calluses. You know, no rope burns. I work in a saw room. I guess I don't get calluses on my hands from that. In fact, I hardly ever sweat. Place is air-conditioned. Um, just once in a while, you know, if a couple of drops come out, I take pictures of them so I can prove to people, you know, that I've actually done something. But uh, he, he says, these hands, I've supported myself with that, and while I've worked, I remember the words of the Lord Jesus, who said, and Paul remembers them from something we don't know. Because if you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you won't find this statement. But you see... John tells us that Jesus said and did so many more things than what are recorded. If, if all of them were written down, it would fill the heaven and earth. We, and that wouldn't contain it. So somewhere along the line, the Lord said this. Maybe he said it directly to Paul when he taught Paul. Uh, we don't know how much of the life and ministry of the Lord Paul was um, firsthand aware of, but we know he knew this. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Well, that's the opposite of how the world thinks. I see all these signs everywhere. Blessed, 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 blessed. I'm blessed, I'm blessed. What a blessing. Oh, what a great blessing. Blessed, blessed, blessed. And you hear it all the time. And by that, people mostly mean, I got this and I got that. 
and I was able to buy this. And now we have this year of automobile, et cetera, et cetera. What a blessing. It's a blessing. I've had days like that. I told you this before, but I had a day about three years ago when somebody walked up to me and said, I want you to go find a truck you like, and I'm going to write a check for it. You know, you're kidding, right? No. I got to do that. I went and wrote a check for cat, a check for a truck and had it paid off. Still driving. I had somebody walk up to me one day, um, a friend of mine, and he had a, a if, you, if you're not a gun person, you won't know this, but he had a Ruger number one in 450-400 Nitro Express 3-inch. If you know what that means, I'm surprised. But he, he hands me, he says, do you like this rifle? It had a really nice scope on it. Just, it had good wood. I said, yeah, I like it. He said, well, I'm giving it to you. I'm glad I didn't say, I don't care much for that one. <laughs> I said, okay. And he gave me a rifle. One time when I was going back and forth to Coatesville, somebody walked up to me and said, you like schnauzers, right? I said, oh yeah, we've, we've had schnauzers for a long time. He said, we, I have this little schnauzer puppy. He's just wonderful. And I'm going to give him to you because I can't take care of him anymore because my job has changed. Somebody I didn't even know, but who had talked to somebody else. You know, I've had days like that when I received something that was, wow. Somebody, to this day I don't know who, but it was somebody up here in northern Indiana because it came out of a post office in Fort Wayne. Somebody regularly sent us unsigned cards with 10 $100 bills in them. We opened the mail, there was $1,000 in there. And did that, they did that several times. I used to hate to get the mail. I didn't even want to get it. And we, we, did, we couldn't even have a mailbox in Coatesville, where I lived there. We had to go to the, to the post office and have a box there because they wouldn't deliver it to us in town for reasons I still don't understand. But I used to hate to get the mail, but my wife and I used to fight over it when we figured it might be about time for another one of those cards. Those were good days. But you know what? The Bible says it's so much better to give things away than it is to get things. And anybody here who has been led of the Lord to give and to help someone out, some brother or sister in Christ or somebody who just needed help and you were able to be a good testimony, some cause, uh, maybe you've given to the folk in Ukraine through BIEM. May, you know this is true, don't you? Your joy as a Christian doesn't depend on what you get. It is much more joyful to give away things than to get them. And that's what it says right there. Let's look at another verse, Galatians. I got to hurry. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6 says, Let him that is taught in the word 
communicate. That's what it says in King James Version. If you have a modern translation, it'll say something a little clearer than that. The idea is to give, to support. Let him that is taught in the word, Galatians 6.6, 6, communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. If I wanted to retranslate this verse, I'd say, pay your pastor. Give to your church. That's what I would retranslate it as. Man, it's not a literal translation, but that's what the verse says. Do you know that clear back when Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians, churches had two classes of people in them. The ones being taught and the ones doing the teaching. That's what this verse says. Clear back then. And these people, the ones doing the teaching, were paid staff. Paid people. And the people who were being taught, clear back then, had the responsibility to give to the ones who were teaching. And it says here, and you can look up 1 Corinthians chapter 9 as well. Um, verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 9, we're not going to go there, but let him that is taught communicate, pay, give to him that teacheth in all good things. I had a, a book of minutes from the church I was in in Kotal, which was started in 1870. And they would list, they had a business meeting every single week. Steve, aren't you glad you didn't go there? A business meeting every single week, and they would list the salaries of the preacher. What the preacher got. So for the week, they would list two chickens, so many green beans, a basket of potatoes, and $2.15 in the offering. You know, they'd have a whole list of whatever the preacher got. And it was reviewed and put in the minutes. I don't know how helpful that would be. Um, and I'm not saying this stuff to you to tell you that you need to improve in this area. I think the church does a great job, both for Pastor Brandon, for Pastor Kyle. I think the church does a good job. But I just want you to know it's a biblical responsibility to give to your church and support your pastors who teach you. This is a command from Paul in Galatians for the church to give to your church. We have a responsibility to support the ministry here. We do. We come here. We hear God's word preached here. And aren't you glad we do? We hear God's word preached. We are taught. We are supposed to support the ones doing the teaching. And we're supposed to consider that a privilege and the obedience to that command as an obedience to God himself. One last verse, 1 John chapter 2. Change that, 1 John chapter 3. Move over a chapter. So our giving is the reason we have a job. In other words, the reason God is providing for us is so we can give. Our giving is our joy. Our giving is our responsibility. And here, in this verse, our giving is the evidence that we're saved. Look at 1 John 3.17. Whoso hath this world's goods, and seeth his brother have need, 
and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. The, the, the Greek word has the idea of slamming the door. They see there's a need, but they slam the door so they can't see it anymore. Well, if somebody does that and they don't give, John asks this question. How dwelleth the love of God in him? In other words, that, person, that person's not saved. Pretty strong statement, isn't it? If you can look at your brother in need and not help, God's love is not controlling your life. That's a big deal. John has a way of saying things simply, but the ramifications of what he says are huge. And you know what? I hope that God uses these verses to just be an encouragement to you to keep on living the kind of life demonstrated by the love of God and you're giving. I don't have to give an altar call and have everybody come down waving white handkerchiefs and kneel here at the front. You just need to let God's word speak to you and you need to give because that's what we do. That's just what we do as Christians.